And today we'll be in Philippians, the fourth chapter, verses four through nine. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have ushers in the aisles that would be happy to hand you one. Feel free to take it home and keep it or give it to a neighbor if you know of someone who needs one. If you're using one of the Bibles that we have in here in the church, we will be on page 923. That's Philippians, the fourth chapter, starting with the fourth verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we get to worship today. We thank you that we get to read your word, and we thank you that we get to hear those words proclaimed through our messenger, David. We ask your blessing on this service. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, good morning, church. For those who may not know me, my name's Eric Cook. And I get to be one of the elders who gets to serve here. So that's a blessing. This morning, we have a special person that you may not know, but you know him by his beard, right? <laughs> this, is Dave, this is Dave Dillman. He's going to bring the word to us this morning. Dave is a faithful member, him and his wife, Amy. They've been members for a long time. And Dave's an overachiever. He not only has one community that he leads, community group, he leads two. He leads one on Wednesday and one on Sunday morning. So let's open our minds and our hearts and hear what God's word has to say through Dave. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, what a great day it is to gather as your people, as your people that we can praise you and worship you in word and in song. Lord, I, I lift up Dave to you. I just pray that you will use him to communicate your truth, the truth of the Bible, to all of us. Let us listen as the congregation to hear what you would have us to hear, to take and to use the truths that are preached today. So we lift all this up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, been a little while since I've been at the pulpit, but God is good, and these are his words, not mine. So I just uh, pray that our ears would be and our hearts would be open. I am going to start by reading a passage from the, the book, the, the Hiding Place, written by Corey Tenboom. If you guys don't know who she is, she... Uh, tells a story of her time in World War II. She's Dutch. Uh, she lived 101 years. She made it through the Holocaust. Uh, 
Um, her sister, who we're going to see in here, she died shortly before victory. Um, but there's a lot to look at here as far as our peace in our hearts that the Lord can give us. So we followed through our guide single file. The aisle was not wide enough for two. Fighting back the claustrophobia of these platforms rising everywhere above, the tremendous room was nearly empty of people. They must have been out on various work crews. At last, she pointed to a second tier in the center of a large block. To reach it, we had to stand on the bottom level, haul ourselves up, then crawl across three other straw-covered platforms to reach the one that we would share with how many? The deck above was too close to let us sit up. We lay back, struggling against the nausea that swept over us from the reeking, rancid straw. We could hear the women who arrived with us finding their places. Suddenly, I sat up, striking my head on the cross slats above. Something pinched my leg. Please, I cried. Betsy, this place is swarming with them. We scrambled across the intervening platforms, heads low to avoid bumping another bump, dropped down to the aisle and edged our way to a path patch of light. Here, and there, and here another one, I wailed. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? Show us, show us. It was said so matter-of-factly that it took me a second to realize she was praying. More and more distinction between prayer and the rest of our life seemed to be vanishing from Betsy. Corey, she said excitedly, he's given us an answer. Before we had asked, as he always does, in the Bible this morning, where was it? Read that part again. I glanced down at the long, dim aisle to make sure no guard was in sight, then drew the Bible from its pouch. It was in 1 Thessalonians. I said, we were on our third complete round of the New Testament since leaving Shevingen. In the feeble light, I turned the pages. Here it is. Comfort the frightened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to all. It seemed written expressly to Ravensbrück. Go on, said Betsy. That wasn't all. Oh, yes. To one another and to all, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her. Then around me at the dark, foul-aired room, such as? I said, such as being assigned here together. I bit my lip. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus. Such as what you're holding in your hands. I looked down at the Bible. Yes. Thank you, dear Lord, that there, there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all the women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, said Betsy. Thank you for the very crowding here. 
since we're packed so close that many more will hear. Gosh. She looked at me expectantly. Corey, she prodded. Oh, all right. Thank you for the jammed, crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you, Betsy went on serenely. For the fleas and for the fleas, this was too much. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood between piers of bunks and gave thanks for fleas. But this time, I was sure Betsy was wrong. <laughs> That's tough to read and not get emotional. Because so. I think when we... When we look at this passage today, and i got to lock it down, um, to have such peace in our Father at a moment like that, I pray, you know, Lord willing, nothing like that were to ever happen to us, but at the same time that we would have the strength that we saw Betsy have, and then what we read Paul has today. So, we're going to look at verses 4, 4 through 5 first. And the, the big idea in today's sermon is Christians rejoice and find peace in the Lord. And in 4, 4 through 5, it's Christian rejoice And be reasonable. So, let me open this up. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So you notice there's two rejoices in there, right? We see it the first time. And there's much enthusiasm. Rejoice in the Lord always. What Paul is getting at here is our relationship is so, so central to us that we can't do anything but be enthused with knowing our God, with knowing what he has done for us, with knowing with what he is doing in us, through us, and in the future ahead for us. Psalm 97.1 says, Rejoice, the Lord is King. Psalm 101 says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Rejoice is a common word that we will see in the Old Testament and the New when it comes to our attitude and our thankfulness towards our Father. You see, what we're talking about here in this rejoicing, which gets clouded by life, right? It gets clouded by and Paul got it, and I think Betsy got it too. The vision and majesty of the Lord. If we look at Philippians 2, 11, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
So now that we've talked through and understand the first rejoice, then just to make sure everybody's awake who's reading this and gets it, Paul then says, rejoice again. That would be to the grumpy people reading. That would be to the Eeyores of the group. That would be to the people who just seem to lack a joy in their life. Paul is, he's hitting it. He's getting it out there. The rejoice hits again in case you're too grumpy to see it. He wants you to make sure that you hear it. Because on the first one, you might say, yeah, 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 I'm in this place. Paul's in prison. Paul, you're in prison, writing to us from prison. The courier who brought this letter got sick on the way here. What is there to rejoice about? And then he says it again just to snap you out of it when you hear it a second time. This is not about positive mental attitude. It's not. This is not about the fact that we are to just think positively. Because that is honestly, it's good. I'm not going to say it's not, right? But at the same time, we're not just being told be positive. We're being told rejoice for what the king has done in our lives, for what he's doing. That's what we're being told. Then when we move on to verse 5, he's he's starting it out by rejoice, and then he's pulling us into verse 5, which is let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Some translations say near. So this reasonableness, there's a lot of different ways that word has been hit in different translations of the Bible. Some say gentle spirit, some say unselfish, some say gentle, some say sweet reasonableness, others say, you know, the general attitude we're looking at is one who does not blame or judge, right? It's having this candor attitude of whatever comes at me, even if you say something offensive to me, even if you're trying to get me fired, even if you don't like me because of what I believe, Even if, whatever it might be, I will look on you and praise God in my life, and I will be thankful for what he's done, what he can do in you, and I will not be mad at you. Uh, Some some things out there say, in general, it's, it's a... Like a, almost a, if you were to be attract a, uh, or attacked, a shrugging off of an attack and then smiling at the person who was attacking you, right? Like get that image in your mind. Not like, ooh, I'm going to get you, right? Not like the, the dog urinates on the ground and then walks through the whole house and you're just fuming, right? And it's just like, well, okay, I guess, you know, I guess. You know, I still love you, dog. I don't say that very often. One who expects nothing. So when you receive nothing, you're not upset by the nothing you received. Right? One who doesn't show up to work and says, I'm going to work hard so I get rewarded. And I'm going to be the Christian influence in there. And people are going to know I'm a Christian. But hey, over here... I didn't get that raise. So-and-so got that promotion. Now I'm 
just fuming mad. It's, hey, you know what, Lord? We see that you gave us work. We are called to work, right? We're to toil. Work is good for us. So if I'm going to show up to a place, because the Bible says I have to work, then I'm going to do it to your glory, because I know that's a, I'm not doing this to get a raise. I'm not doing this to get ahead. I'm not doing all of that. That's inconsequential in your attitude towards work. On top of that, gentleness is not reserved for just family and friends or people you love, right? Man, how much, how much better do you think driving a car would be in rush hour if we didn't have horns? Right? Think about that. When you hear a horn honk, what's your first reaction? Or when you're getting ready to honk your horn, you're like gearing up for it, right? So what we see then, and take that one step further if we want to talk about governments in power over us or those in authority. Titus 3, 1 through 3 says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy, courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating hating one another. That's, that's not us. That was us, right, church? That was us. So when we read that verse, those verses, and then we see we're being called to this reasonableness, this sweet reasonableness, this gentleness. Like, we've got no reason to react. And believe me, I react very quickly. I, unfortunately, to my dismay, react very quickly to my children. And the Lord, I pray to him constantly and ask forgiveness. I ask it of my children for quick reaction. But we see that, you know, we were once this and we're not. And we're called the reasonableness. Suffering for our faith in Christ tests the quality of gentleness. So in a world that's hostile towards Christians, in a world that seems to get more and more hostile towards our worldview, our belief in our Creator, towards our King and everything that we know, how can we love the world if we're angry and mad at them when they go offensive towards us, when they try and take things, or when they attack us, or when they go after us for our beliefs? How can, how can we do that? We're being told biblically here we're not to. Right? We're to shrug it off and smile. And that's hard. Because we live in a day and age, and it's not much different from before, I say like early, early creation, where this is the God of self that we live in, right? This is where everyone is at in society around us. There's, it's not God of heaven. It's God of self and worshiping yourself and your attitudes and what you want and gratification. The Lord is at hand, near. So this, this passage, this word right here, at hand, near, there's a couple of things going on. There's a couple of things you could step towards. And one of them would be the fact that 
this could be proximity, this could be time, right? Is kind of what that word indicates. Now, we know that God never changes, he knows all, and he's everywhere. But it's our view of God that affects our life, that creates an out, like an outward look of our attitude towards everything. The Lord is near. We all know we're going to die, right? The Lord is near. Whether that be tomorrow, whether that be 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 50, 90 for little kids, right? The Lord is near. And we know when we die, we will be with him. So the Lord is near. It could be about the coming rapture, but there's not a whole lot in, you know, like I'm not saying that's not a possibility that could be floating in Paul's head at that time. But the Lord is near. And if we put eternity into the picture, if we put eternity of the Lord is near, our end is coming, and we will stand in front of our Creator, the Lord is near. And we will have that attitude of there's something bigger than this and a God who's larger than this. Likewise, if we want to talk about the Lord is near, Sunday, Sunday attitude, right? Sunday church. God's good on Sunday. What about the rest of the week? Does your theology of today, meaning your understanding and searching of God, does, does that match today and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday? Monday's near, right? The Lord is near. Now that we've established all of that, right, putting this whole worldview into place, now let's look at what God is telling us on how to handle these situations a little more specifically. So the second point is going to be Christian, rejoice because God is in control. Right? God is in control. So don't be anxious. The problem is a this-moment problem, not an eternity problem. It's not. Everybody has anxiety. Everybody does. Whether you like to admit it or not, everybody does. The way anxiety manifests in my children is different from my wife, is different from me. Now, I work in a job where I handle problems. I put out fires all day. I'm in operations. I deal with people wanting things, right? Um... And so I handle and I, I like take things coming at me and I think I handle them very well. However, my fingernails tell differently, right? So I may not be racked with something where I can't get out of bed and I turn into a potato or I just I need to sleep or whatever it is. To my wife's dismay, I'm nuts. I wake up at three, four, I go cold plunge and then I start working right? But my fingernails tell me that I'm stressed and I don't realize it and I take it out somewhere, right? So think about that. Paul is saying don't be anxious because he was writing this letter to the Philippian church to find joy, right? What was the Philippian church? What were the, the church in Philippi? What were they anxious about? What were they nervous about? The guy, Paul, was in prison, right? They are in a town that is a Roman outpost. 
with hundreds of Roman soldiers, and they're worried, are they going to be next to be put in prison? Okay? So that's what he's addressing for them. The looking at the potential of their death, their potential crucifixion, their end for worshiping the God of the Bible. So, what we need to know is that the church crossed the line and they became consumed with an issue that was not something they should be worried about. They were more worried about making it, right? Days, weeks, months without being arrested for their faith rather than spreading the gospel. Rather than being these people that to the outside look like, you know, no matter what comes at us, our God is good and he's got our back. And so to that point, they became worried and introverted and consumed by it. Here's a little stat for you. The Bureau of Standards, just a nice little place our tax dollars go, but they have good info. They said in a study, and I don't know how they came up with it, but a city block that's seven feet, or seven blocks by seven blocks by 100 foot tall, just covered in fog. Like you can't see a couple of feet in front of you. If you were to actually condense that down to liquid, it would be one glass of water. So when you think about just the reality of life, right, how these problems that could fit in here, I get it, right? Like that standard, that makes sense in my mind how we can be overcome by something that seems so small in that moment, right? However, the Lord Jesus said in Luke 12, 25 through 26, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? John MacArthur says that the Old Testament says that God neither slumbers nor sleeps, and there's really no reason for both of us to stay awake. So if it has to be one of us or the other, let it be him. Right? Now, We've been going through at bedtime reading Pilgrim's Progress to our kids. And we have a kid's version. It's a, a little rabbit, is Christian Pilgrim. And so we were actually reading this, I think, on Monday night. Uh, or was it Thursday night? I think it was Thursday night. And it, this, this, like, just stood out. So from the book, it's called The Cross. That's the chapter. And if any of you guys don't know or haven't read that book, it is amazing. It's, a, it's an allegory. So it's, you know... So I, I could try and look up allegory. I'm going to murder it if I try and say it. It's all like in here, my definition. So, uh, but Paul Bunyan, no, John Bunyan, John Bunyan, Paul Bunyan stuff. Yeah, sorry. John Bunyan wrote this while he was in jail, okay, for his faith. Right? There seems that like, man, the, the like illustrations are just hitting it today, right? Um, now I saw in a in my dream, that the highway up which Christian was to go was fenced on both sides with a wall. And that wall was called salvation. Up this way, therefore, burdened, Christian ran, but not without great difficulty, because of the heavy load on his back. 
He ran on thus until he came to a place where there was a hill, and upon that hill stood a cross. And a little below, at the bottom, was a sepulcher. <laughs> English. Uh, so I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden fell off his shoulders and back. And it began to tumble, and it began to tumble, until it came to the mouth of the sepulcher, where it fell in, and I saw it no more. Then Christian was glad and joyful, and said with a merry heart, Jesus has given me rest by his sorrow, and life by his death. So he stood up a while to ponder and wonder, for it was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should cause thus ease of him to his burden. So it goes on, but we're going to stop there. So Christian, in that allegory, um, Christian Pilgrim is his name, has to go through the gate. And the, the, the name of the gate is escaping me at this moment. But essentially, the gate is your, it's your salvation. It's your walk. It's, it's accepting Christ into your heart, right? And then you're heading down this path that's walled salvation, right? Protecting you, keeping on this narrow road. And then he gets to the cross. And the whole buildup in, in this story is that Christian, once he reads the text initially, starts having a burden on his back. Now, there's a, there's a kid's movie on Amazon that I've gotten my kids into, and they love it because it's Christian, and all of a sudden his backpack just gets bigger and bigger and bigger where he gets slower and slower because he's understanding. Is, if you're in here and you don't know the Lord, that, this could be where you're at, right? You've got this burden. You've got this weight that you don't know. And what he ends up getting to is he gets through. He gets saved. He's walking down the path. But it isn't until he comes to the cross and realizes that Jesus took his anxiety. Jesus took his burden in this life, and now he is free to live free from that burden. Does that make sense? Now, I could sit on this for a long time, but we got more verses to go. So we just talked about anxious, anxiety, right? We're, we're being told how to handle that. When we feel these things coming, what we are to do is we're to give them to the Lord. Because what else are you supposed to do with it, right? The, the, the burden falling off pilgrim's back, rolling to the cross is you getting on your knees or you praying in that moment and you asking the Lord to relieve you of that burden so that you can sleep at night, so that you can move forward and worship him, so that you can do whatever he's called you to do. We, we are being told here, and this is, this is more of what we're being told to do, not an analogy of how to pray. We're being told with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. So we're told to pray in those moments. We're told to beg God, which is what supplication, the definition of that is, right? Beg, get on your hands and knees, be humble. Have a humble heart, right? There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. He does it. He did it. Christ did it for us. 
and we're to be thankful for what he's done. Okay? We're to be thankful for what he's done in our lives, what his son did on the cross, for him never backing away from his promise to us. And we're going to get towards those promises in the end in 8 through 9. We are to pray in such a way and give up our anxiety in such a way because our Father has it, right? If someone's going to stay up at night, God's always up. Let it be him, not you. That the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. What in the world does that mean? The peace of God. Now we're not just talking about like wartime peace, right? Or us being in America right here and being able to go to the store and not be worried about, you know, like in the Ukraine, rockets and stuff coming at you or war breaking out or in the Middle East, right? That thing. We're not talking about that kind of peace. We are talking, and what's, ta- what's being spoken about here in the Bible is the peace of God for the Creator who called the world into existence by His voice and knows the same thing happening right now here in this room and everyone and what you're going through, and He knows the same thing on the other side of the world for those people over there. That's the peace. Do you think that shakes Him? We will have that peace of God. That's the peace. And then on top of all that, right now, this understanding with, with like, I want to make sure I get it right, surpasses all understanding, is such a way that to you, Christian, when your friends who don't know God hear what you're going through, or they know your life is crazy because of kids or family stuff or job stuff or whatever it is, they're looking at it going, what the heck? Why are you up? Why are you not laying in bed crying yourself to sleep? Because God gave us peace. That's why. God gave us peace. Because we give our problems to him. So our anxiety, we give to him. And we are instantly, we should be, through that. And that's, honestly, that's that's, that's a very hard path to get there. I'm not saying it's not. And we're going to see in the end how Paul says it takes practice. But what we know is it says this peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, so I made a statement a little while ago about the fact that the church in Philippi, they were in like an outpost, a Roman outpost. So think about this. This is not your alarm system on your house. This guarding of your heart, it's not about that. It's not about letting you know when something's going awry, right? That's not what guard means. This is a military term here. What this example through the word that Paul is using is those troops that you see out there that you're afraid are going to come in and get you for worshiping me, for worshiping God, um, those troops, God will guard your heart like they guard the gate. Like they guard the city when you're sleeping at night so you know you can get through it. God will guard your heart like he gives us police that are going around keeping us safe, right? Like the military that's there in case something happens that knows all of our strategic weaknesses and all the things where there are gaps 
And where we are weak in our faith, weak in our faith, and he will protect us in those spots. Okay? Are we tracking? Yeah, I'm excited. So now we're finally going to get to 8 through 9. Christian, focus on eternal things that will bring peace. That's the third point here. Oh. So. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think of these things. Okay, that's a lot, right? What's he, what, like, okay, so he laid all this stuff out, right? He laid out that we are to rejoice in the Lord, We're to be reasonable and take a tax and just shrug them off and still love that person. We're to take our anxiety, the things that could keep us up at night, and give them to the Lord. He's got our back. He's not just guarding us, but he's guarding where we're weak, right? And now he's saying he's giving us another directive. And there are six, six, verbs here and then there's two like nouns so called the general actions right and so what we're being essentially told is you give your anxiety to God so if you got nothing to be anxious about what are you going to do are you going to go watch TV are you going to watch a movie are you going to go possibly read a book that might not you want people to know at church that you read right what are you going to do with that time? Because you got nothing to worry about now because you gave it to God. What are you going to do with that time? He's given us something to do with that time. We're to go and seek and learn things that are true, that are honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. These are virtuous things that we can find in the Scriptures. These are virtuous things that our Father wants us to learn and focus on and not the negative. Because the negative doesn't belong there because he said he's got it. That's what we're to do. It's not that complicated. It's a complicated. I'm not trying to minimize how much effort it takes to take anxiety and not just pray to God about it but actually let him have it, right? But even if you pray to God and you're asking him to take it and you're just like, gosh, I keep thinking about it, what should you do? Focus on these things, the virtuous things of the Lord, okay? So even if you can't necessarily get it out, you are, you are working into your brain something better to focus on that leads you toward God, okay? What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, so now he's saying, all of these things, you've seen me do them. You've got an actual example, right? 
We've got an example of someone who's writing this in prison right now. He could be consumed by all of these things, right? And nobody would fault him for it. Nobody. Because he doesn't know if he's going to be executed, right? He's saying, you've seen me live this way, so it is possible. You need to practice it. The word here is practice. Okay, practice. I'd love to see some. Who's played sports? Who's played an instrument? Who's done anything and is decent at it? Did it just generally come natural? Or have you worked on practicing and getting better at it? Amen? Okay. We are to practice these things. This process laid out here in 4 through 9 takes practice. And to the, to the young Christian into the room to the old, older Christian in the room. And you could be, to be honest, church, you could be 25 years old and be an old, mature Christian sitting next to somebody who's 65 who's not mature at all, okay? So don't just think age brings all of this, okay? This is a reflection of your relationship with the Father, of how far along you can be here, okay? And I'm not saying I'm there, because I still write these things, right? But this is a, ref a reflection. And this is, a, you know, it's, it's good for us to know and to strive towards and practice, okay? So as we close, the thoughts in my mind on how to wrap this up really comes down to the reading from Pilgrim's Progress beyond the scripture. Please don't think I'm not reflecting on that. But as far as what makes a little more like painted picture, that it would be the fact that you can be a Christian. You got saved years ago. You're walking down the path of salvation, but you're still carrying the burden. Okay? Go to the cross. Let it fall off. Go to the cross and let it fall off. Now, to someone in here who doesn't know the Lord, you've seen in the Scripture what God wants, how he wants us to be able to go through this life. And if you are living in a place where you are carrying that burden because you're here, so I'm assuming things are starting to kind of click and you've got questions and all of that, so there's a burden. And you're just going through life and you're saying, gosh, life is so tough. I don't know where I'm going to go when it ends. I don't, I don't know anything. I, I don't know what to do. I, I want to lay in bed all day. I blow up on my coworkers all the time. Whatever it might be. And you say, I just, I'm, I'm looking. Jesus is the answer.
Jesus, as we saw in here, he died. He died for our sins. He died for you. He died so that you could be in relationship with his father. And he died so that you could live on this earth and worship him. And in worshiping him, he doesn't want you to be controlled by your anxiety. He doesn't want you to be focused on things that are not virtuous and of him. Okay? He wants you to know him. So as we get through, communion's coming up. The elders are going to be on the sides. And if that's something you want to talk about, or you want to talk to me, you can come talk to me. But God brought you here for a reason. He knew that you were going to be here. And he wanted you to hear what he says in his scripture, which is true. Church, let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the word that Dave preached. I pray that as we take this word that was preached and um, take it with us this week, Lord God, I pray that we would be encouraged. Be encouraged by, um, by the truth of the gospel. Be encouraged that we get to sing together today, Lord God. And um, God, as we are reminded of, um, of what you've done and the peace that you can bring, if we would just give our anxiety to you, Lord God, I pray that we would do that this morning, that we would not think on the things that are happening outside of this room, but rather um, the truth of who we are, our identity in you, Jesus Christ, not in what the world says of us or what we do in our day-to-day. We thank you, Jesus, in your name I pray. Amen.